Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Night Light. Step away from the mainstream and gather around as we enlighten the world and our realities and travel this cosmic journey we call life. Join us as we share with you and provide that beacon that can guide us all to a better way. Explore with us as we examine a metaphysical montage of spiritual insights covering everything from the mundane to the magical, UFOs to unicorns, and everything in between. This is a time of awakening, of sharing and evolving, of spreading our wings and soaring on the cosmic breath of creation. Come and join with other light-minded spirits as we weave our lights together to seek understanding, enlightenment, and with a little luck, some wisdom. This is Nightlight, a reminder that you are never alone. the first of our two Halloween shows. Rob Sullivan is our guest next week, but we have to survive tonight's zombie apocalypse. I have two horror author guests tonight. Uh, Hadley Thorne is the author of the Tapestry of World series, hostess of the Weird Realities podcast, and Watching Weird, which live streams on Facebook on Thursday nights at 9 p.m. Eastern Time. Alan Gamboa is the author of the Operation Zulu series, a regular on Watching Weird, and a retired prison guard and involved in security now. But we'll find out over the next couple hours if he's on the right side of the bars. Uh, Since I've spent... Most of my life in the Pittsburgh area, I'm a yinzer like Sherry. Uh, she, she's a regular listener as well. Uh, the legacy of the Night of the Living Dead r- remains strong. There's even a zombie museum in the Century 3 Mall. So that's kind of like a preface for one of the reasons why... I'd, I chose our, uh, to have our guests on tonight. Um, so, just want to welcome Hadley and Alan. How are you two tonight? Great. Great. How are you doing, Mark? Oh, I'm I'm fine. Yeah. Thanks for uh, helping me to put together this. Uh, what's going to be a uh, fun and creepy ha- Halloween type show. I 
we're gonna have a good time. So I just want the listeners to kick kick back and just enjoy the next uh couple hours till we get to the the witching hour here on the east coast. So um so maybe we should just start off by talking about your group of friends in the watching weird and uh you have a nice group of friends colleagues they they're all authors writing these um you know, zombie type books uh, you know they're in the uh horror genre um how how did everyone meet um you know what are you doing on the watching weird uh show just give, give us a little bit of background about we all met at a truck your... stop <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh. yeah yeah the, uh, it's a very I'll talented group I'll of people well, it's um, it's kind of I hate to say weird, but I'm probably going to. Um, how we all kind of met? Um, I don't know how I got to talking with Jamie Hernandez, and we just kind of hit it off. We were both publishing our first books around the same time as independent authors and women in the um, apocalyptic type genre. We just kind of bonded. And she introduced me to Alan, and from there, Alan has introduced me to everyone. Um, so that's one side of things. Alan and Jamie are the ones who've connected me with all the authors. Um, then, like the a lot of the ladies on board, um, Finley, Morgana, um, Jen Salmons, they're friends of mine that I grew up with. Um, I've known Morgana for about 20 years. We've studied the occult, metaphysical type things together, um, off and on for probably 20 years. Jen was my best friend my senior year. Then she moved off um, to Chicago, and we've stayed in touch ever since. And um, Finley and I, again, she moved um, to the small town where we live um, when – we were probably about 14 or 15, and we've been friends ever since. So um, she's a she's a big zombie reader. I'm a zombie reader. So I was sharing books, and when it all just kind of um, came together, I think with that um, Army of the Dead panel that I put together um, last May, she she volunteered to be a moderator, and that's just kind of what got her sucked in. Okay, Alan, how how did you get interested in becoming a horror uh, writer and exploring the zombie apocalypse? You know, know, it it goes way back into the 60s, well, probably early 70s, uh, when I first found that I lived and did, and that just kind of sparked me as a kid, and uh, I always like to write. My my parents were really good in um, pushing reading and <clears throat> being kind of artistic. 
uh, my sister's a cartoonist, mm-hmm. and she's an art oh, okay. teacher in, um, in, in uh, Sonoma. And so it just kind of grew out of that. My dad was was the kind of guy that believed every movie deserved to be watched at least once. That was his his credo or his motto or whatever you would call it. So I, I've seen a lot of movies. <clears throat> they went and saw The Godfather, and I forgot how old I was. I was, wasn't old enough to see it. And they'd go to the drive-in because they'd save money on a babysitter, and they'd just make a bed in the back of the car. Don't watch this, Alan. Go to sleep. You know, of course, you know, they're watching Shampoo, The Godfather, you know, and I'm just peeking over the seats, seeing things I don't understand. <laughs> so I think all that led to the uh, zombie apocalypse. Warren Beatty, George Romero, uh, Marlon Brando, all that. It pushed me forward. Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah I'm glad you mentioned The Godfather. Uh, uh, I mean, later on when we talk about some of our favorite uh, ho- horror movies, we might be able to get into uh, The Godfather as well. But, um, yeah, yeah. Um, Hanley, you have a uh, diverse background in uh, uh, you know, various working in various uh, churches in uh, the Bible Belt. Um, you know, with your exposure to all these religions, did did that? Uh, how you approached writing your tapestry of worlds? Um, I don't think, which actually I worked at a synagogue, which ironically is probably the the biggest synagogue in Mississippi, (laughs) which isn't big. But yeah, so I worked at the synagogue and I went to college at a Christian college. Now, um, growing up, we were not um, very active in the church. My parents had their relationship with God. They kept it pretty much between them and God. And that's kind of how I grew up. My dad, um, he was really someone who I consider like a naturalist. He was very in tune with nature. And he he helped me have an appreciation where I started seeing that relationship with God, the universe, goddess, whatever you want to call it, Mm -hmm. when I was outdoors. And that's really what led me to where I'm at with mythology and with a lot of the symbolism and the beliefs that I personally have. Um, And I tie all that into the books as well as um, places that, I know and revere um, here locally. Okay, and in part two, you do uh, focus on you know, the southern swamps and uh, New Orleans as settings. Uh, you know, what? You know, for someone like me who hasn't been to uh, those areas, you know, the kind of creepy aspect of your writing, 
you, know, you do get uh, um, people like John Fogarty writing a lot of those uh, classic uh, Creedence songs you know, based on uh, um, in the Mississippi River bayous. Charlie Daniels, The Legend of Wooly Swamp. Yeah, I I grew up, um, which actually book two kind of takes place at this island that my uncle took me to when I was a a child, which every summer growing up, we would go to Grand Isle, Louisiana, and go fishing. My aunt and uncle had a camp there. I incorporated all all that into the story, and... Uh um, there's, it was, I love history. In fact, that's what I got my degree in. Um, my undergraduate degrees is in history. And he took me to this, it's like a, I guess an old abandoned Spanish fort that was down um, off from Grand Isle. And I think they had like a, a fisheries place where they did, there was like the, the, I think it was Louisiana State University tag fish and all that was pretty much all that was there except for the ruins of the um old fort and there was like some wild horses on the island it was just it was just a magical place and when i was thinking about um kind of what would be different but somewhere that i knew that i could appreciate that's just kind of where it came up and growing up going to south louisiana it is a creepy place. I mean, it's beautiful and it's haunting and it's just, it has a feel, almost a tangible feel to it that is undescribable. Um, just driving down and you see these fields and fields of, you know, sugar cane. And then, you know, there's all like this, this old craggy tree and, is everything's like in a in a certain color palette it's it's just very um it's a very different place and then you have new orleans which is is a whole different place all its own i mean new orleans is like another world and you go down there and it's like you just slip between a time you know it one minute it, you're you're you know, in modern day, and then you turn down a street, and it seems like um, it would be perfectly normal to have gaslit um, lamps, lanterns light in the street, and you can very uh-huh. easily imagine a vampire or you know something creepy around the corner. But um, it's it's just it's a character in itself. It paints it paints the story. You do get a lot of. Um... You know, very notable um, movies filmed in New Orleans. The uh, ending of Easy Rider, um, the oh, uh, Interview with the Vampire. Uh, um, it yeah. Since I've never been there, you know what is it? it just it just seems like it's uh, stuck in the 18th century or even earlier. 
um, earlier, it has a very European almost feel to it. Mm -hmm. And it's very, it's a very mystical place. And there's a feeling of otherworldliness when you walk the streets of the French Quarter that you owe it to yourself to go at least once because there's no other place like it. Don't go during Mardi Gras, but go down there. And, I mean, it's really just – it's an amazing place. It, Like I said, it is it, – it has its personality. And there's just – the people, they're – they're very different, which this is just a little side segue. Um, South Louisiana in itself is a character. When I lived in Lafayette, Louisiana, um, my next door neighbor was a professor of, um, I think, French. He was from Canada, and he was telling me that a lot of these professors had come over from France to study the Cajun French because it was the closest thing to what they were speaking in France in the like 17th and 18th centuries that was still um, around today. And people down there speak that language. And it's like I said, it's just like another world. It's like going to another country or, or even another plane of existence. It is just magical. Some people love it. Some people hate it. Um, I've heard people say it's the dirtiest place they've ever been. And, I mean, if you go, trust me, if you go down to Bourbon Street, you know, after Mardi Gras, it is just pretty, it is very dirty. But um, there are people who they go every year. You know, it's just, it becomes, it's something once you get it in your blood, you want to go back. Okay. Alan, in in your series, do you, is there a uh, place like um, New Orleans that uh, you, know, you know where you set most of your works, or is there a place that really inspires you? Uh, it's set mostly in uh, between Arizona and California, mostly around there. Um, lot in Southern California. Uh, the last book I wrote, Salvation, it was set in Arizona and uh, Nevada. I I'm, I live in Nevada, and um, I love the desert area. I never thought I would because I spent twenty plus years in uh, the redwoods, and I right by the ocean, like two miles from the ocean. I look out my back window and I see giant redwood trees. And it's just a beautiful place to live, but it's always gray. So it was a big change moving here to Nevada, and there's beauty in the desert. One of my kids says, it looks like like the background of Fallout, the video game. But uh, to me, it's, it, I, I like it. I like the seasons. It snows. We get the heat. We get all four seasons here. So I, I'm probably going to be setting most stories in the desert area. Uh, most of my books are in a desert area anyway. I just I like to write that. I wrote a little bit in the redwoods, but um, it's just so isolated, and my stories are are big as far as what's happening. They're basically chase stories um, uh-huh. when it comes down when it comes down to it. But it, I I do have some ideas for some horror stories set in redwoods because it is it is a place that can be very it's very beautiful, but it can be very scary. 
you know, with, with no, these. I, I, I go ahead, Alan. Oh, I said it's no snatch. But... <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, that's a takeout for weird reality. Sorry. <laughs> Yeah, the, the the show's just bland. Um, but you know, we're you know, just talking about these uh, chase uh, stories. Um, you know, Hadley has a uh, prepper group. You know, a lot of these other uh, zombie shows ha- have um, you know, basically. Uh, other types of preppers. Um, what are some of the variations of being a prepper other than going to the Winchester? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's my version. <laughs> yeah, my <favorite. laughs> But it, 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 are, are, are a lot of horror writers uh, it, it, uh, just looking at uh, this is you know, really something that you need to know um, to get through the challenging times? Oh, yeah, I think a lot of writers, I don't, because that's not what my stories are about. But I think, and I know a lot of writers, that a lot of them, they put their their prepping uh, experiences and stuff in their books, uh, kind of, mm-hmm. yeah, you know, it's, it's, you know, whatever can happen. <clears throat> I mean, look at the supply chain right now. Um, right. So it's it's always good to know, and it's good to be prepared. I mean, you can't be prepared for everything, no matter who you are, I, I believe. Something's going to bite you in the ass that you forgot or just can't deal with, you know. But, I, you know, when this ha- when the zombie apocalypse happens, <laughs> you're going to have a lot of people, a lot of diabetics, um, a lot of people with thyroid issues, uh, a lot of other health problems die off quickly because they won't be getting their meds that they need. And, you know, that, that comes into play in a lot of stories. But there's going to be a lot of people that are, won't make it, me included, because I'm just going to curl into a ball and cry like a little baby if it happens. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Oh, Hallie, did you want to say something? Well, I was just going to say, I've been preparing for the zombie apocalypse since the 80s, and, you know, the the COVID-19 pandemic has ruined it for me. <laughs> I've decided we're all going to die. <laughs> the boring apocalypse. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, Hadley, you have uh, some of these, uh, like, uh, what's it called? Like the, these nanoparticles to activate something. Uh, what was that in your running and gunning? 
Uh, why can't I find it? Neurotechnology, I'm sorry. It's just basically, um, I tried to find something that could kind of explain a shamanic experience to the average person mm -hmm. where they could kind of identify with it on a, you know, on a level that seemed more tangible to them, which, you know, I study shamanism and I've been studying the occult for, you know, probably 30 something years now. And it was just, like I said, a way to bridge that. It's all possible if you, I mean, it's, it's scary what's going to happen in the next 10 years with um, technology, but I think I saw where Elon Musk was saying in the next 10 years we'll be able to um, communicate without speaking, which I guess we already do if you look at our cell phones, but basically there was something that we could put to our brain that would That's send out these you, messages. That's going to kill what? you, Hadley. That's going to kill you not being able to talk. <laughs> I know. You too, Alan. What are we going to do? <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> but, I mean, it's, it's like I hear things. That's kind of um, in a weird way, kind of how I got the idea about weird realities was um, my friend Gracie and I were sitting around talking about weird stuff that makes us think. And kind of um, weird thoughts and weird experiences that other people have um, that just kind of make us want to learn more. We're we're lifelong students and we love to learn stuff. So we basically started off just giving each other a topic and then we'd go and research it. And um, that's pretty much what started it all. That and um, looking for a platform as a writer to kind of get my name out there. And it just took on a life of its own, which, um, like, the the nanotechnology is one of those things. It just, you know, kind of, you, you hear about it, you get curious, you just go read uh -huh. up. And uh -huh. then, you know, it'll turn up somewhere when you're you're least expecting it. There it is. Yeah, and, and, Hallie, since, since you just mentioned, uh, you know, you've done some studying of shamanism, um do you take a uh, religious angle to uh, you know, your works, like uh, uh, some of the scenes from um, you know, the older New Testament, and uh, you know, really the Book of Revelation is pretty much like a foreshadow of the zombie apocalypse for me personally um i don't really i don't consider myself a religious person i studied religion much like i studied mythology um mm -hmm. i've considered myself more of a spiritual person um so i can't really say that it's influenced me i've i have recently been thinking about it would be really cool to kind of do a parallel with the four horsemen um in in something Ooh. interesting so um yeah just you know that's always been a story from the bible that's fascinated me it would just be building a story around it but um like i said those are the ideas i get i get ideas about that with my tapestry of world series it has a lot to do with um Norse mythology and 
pretty much Celtic mythology. And those are things that, you know, I'm very interested in. And so it turns up. But, um, mm-hmm. but yeah, you know, Ragnarok into the world, that sort of thing. But it's so, it's so many different levels, which I don't write it nearly as well as I think about it. I wish I could just <laughs> plug how my brain works and put it on paper, but it's kind of hard. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's – I think most writers are like that. It's just I wish I could write the way I think. I wish I could That'd speak nice. the way I think. <laughs> a lot of times my brain's going so fast I forget what I'm saying. But Alan yeah, keeps up though. Or at least he pretends. <laughs> I'm a good pretender. <laughs> Tina trained you well. <laughs> yes. Yes, definitely. <laughs> Thirty years will do that. Thirty plus. <laughs> No, but, but you know, it, talking about like the, the group that we've had, that we've mm-hmm. it's it's kind of interesting because I really feel like we're we've, we're growing past just being friends and acquaintances that you know online. It's you know we we care about each other's families and we you know really worry about one another. You know, it's I talk to a lot of these guys more than I do um, my own family. You know. So um, they they're great, and I've been really lucky. You know, we've we've had some some people that didn't necessarily work out. Some friends of mine that had you know started off, and then life just got in the way, and that's what happens. You know, people grow together or grow apart. But we've been really lucky. Yeah, we've got a good group of people. Oh, I think so too. <laughs> Where? Which I have Which to tell you, you this. <laughs> I have to tell you this, Mark, because this is this is just what a small world it is. So, I started reading zombie fiction in 2016 or 2017, and one of the book series that really made me a fan was called the Chaos Theory series, or Chaos, yes. Yeah, is that the name of it, Alan? Chaos Theory. I'm sorry. Chaos, yeah. Chaos Theory. And Run. Run was the second one. Well, the Chaos Theory series was – it was very impactful for me. And I read it, and it really just made me a fan of the genre. And so later it comes to find out that um, – and I'm, the thing is I'm really bad with names. I have a hard time remembering anything, but especially names. I memorized this guy's name, and this guy is Rich Ristucci, and I get to watch movies and talk about them with him every week <laughs> thanks to Alan Gamboa, and that's what a crazy world we live in. <laughs> What's funny is, you know, Rich was kind of – I was trying to get Rich on some of the the interview shows, you know, some of the panels, Army of the Dead, some of the other panels. But he could never, he could never do it, and I was always trying and trying. And then we, then he finally said, "Well, I can." We asked if he'd guest star on uh, Watching Weird, and he's like, "Yeah, yeah, I, I, I can do that." And it just rolled from there. You know, same with Joe Hansen, that's on Watching Weird. You know, I, I've been trying to get him to do more social media uh, talking and stuff because he's got a, he's got a really good fan base, and he's a great writer too, and. 
excuse me, um, he finally did it, and he ended up joining the the Watching Weird team. And uh, I'm really glad those guys were able to do that. Yeah, Joe is um, actually taking over. Um, him and Morgana are taking over Weird Ink for me. So um, I have an open-door yeah. policy where I can go sit in when I have time. But we're growing so fast that, um, you know, I just don't have time to do everything like I was doing. Yeah. And then we have Scott, Scott Baker's. You know, oh, uh, him, him through doing some podcasts with him and doing the Haunted Library and stuff with him. And, uh, you know, I'm glad that we were able to get him guest starring and then getting a full-time position, you know. Scott's great. Scott Baker is amazing. Hilarious. You know, I mean, he you know, Rich is, is hilarious. But Scott is like, you know, subversive. <laughs> He doesn't look well, but, but and it, it, well, he, he has uh, what uh, government training to do pull that off. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's right. He's from the, one of the alphabet companies. Yeah, well, yep. <laughs> but he, he's uh, multi-level. Yeah, you know, and, yep. and and Scott, what did? Uh, recently post a uh, bunch of photos of his uh, expedition to uh, the site where uh, Betty and Barney Hill were abducted. Yes. He's trying to get in touch with um, your friend Dennis at America Stonehenge. He was going to go up there uh-huh. and do a live interview with him and do a tour because it's real close to where one of his family members lives. So he's like, yeah, that'll be fine. But we have a hard time catching up with Dennis. So maybe okay. you can well, put in a good word for us. Yeah, I'll, I'll, <laughs> but yeah, I'll change that. Well, Scott, Scott yeah. is amazing. And he often brings just a, a whole different view to what um, a watching weird is. I mean, I'm a nerd, and I love to watch films, so that's what I bring is I'm just fangirling, you know, but Scott's actually smart, and he actually talks about, like, in film speak, <laughs> so um, he's also got a very dark, um, twisted horror fandom that I just don't even understand. Like I said, was it... Hobo with a shotgun that we watched, yeah, Alan, that I said it felt like we watched two different movies. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yep. We were all in agreement, except for Scott. Scott liked it. <laughs> yeah, he had he Not had all the smart to speak about it. Yeah. yeah, that was his kind of horror, his kind of horror humor. So Scott, but we Scott have a real good time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's, that's what I try and tell everybody is if we're not having fun, we're not doing it right. When it becomes, you know, too much, take a break. That's why we yeah. have so many people is so that no one person ever feels too stressed out. Um, and I think it's working. You know, I look forward to the stuff that that we're doing. And, I, you know, I make an effort to try and be there. But I know that if I don't, the world's not going to end. And I think that's important for everybody to understand is that, you know, family comes first, that, you know, we, we are always are going to be understanding of something coming up. And that, you know, that's what, again, makes it more like a family. 
Right. What Scott discussed last week, uh, or, or one of his, you know the points he brought up last week was, uh, he went to a George Romero um, uh, oh the museum. Yeah, 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 and. George was doing all his meet and greets and signing autographs and VCR tapes and, and whatever else uh, they had uh, for sale there, or you know, people were bringing their own copies. And he's spending all this time uh, talking with his fans and. You know the promoters were like, "Hey, you know, you know, line just keeps getting longer and longer. You know, kind of needs to speed things up." And George, real, uh, you know, dis- you know, kind of put the uh, promoter in his place and said, "You know, these are people who want to be here and have their que- have me answer their questions, and you know, they're they're my fan base. I want to connect with them." And it, I think Scott's um, reminder of what artists like that do to their fans by taking the time to connect with them and uh, hear their reviews and you know, it helps them to grow as artists as well. Uh, I just thought Scott brought off such a, a very important point of uh, you know that he he witnessed that going on, and it, it, it's nice that someone of George's uh, stature uh, spent that much time talking with his fans. It's a nice little well, insight that provided for uh, the viewers of last week's show. What? Well, made, I he, think. Go ahead, Alan. Oh, go ahead, Abby. Go ahead. I was just going to say that it's one of the things that I found with indie authors is um, they really do appreciate the people who are buying their books. You know, and I'm not saying that that you know authors that are working with a publishing company don't but indie authors it's more it's kind of like a um buy local kind of thing you know you're supporting somebody's family when you're you're buying from an independent author no definitely definitely and it's just as easy to piss off a fan you know accidentally not you know inadvertently um by not responding you know, I had an email from a fan once with a series that sat in my folder for like six months. I didn't even know it was there, and I was just going through my spam, and there it was. And I wrote them back, and then they never wrote me back. But I felt bad, you know, because I didn't want them to think that I snubbed them. Because anybody who writes me, I'll write them back. You know, I'll talk to anybody, usually that wants to talk about the books or anything. You know, I. I think it's pretty cool. I got a guy that's doing a, having a tattoo made from uh, one of the uh, 
from the name of the company in my book that the, the contractors belong to. They've got their own logo and design and everything, and he's having that put on his put on his arm. So that's that's crazy. I, I think that's that's cool. You know, it's like wow. You know, here I am writing a book that I was hoping you know somebody other than my mom would read, and then you've got somebody <laughs> across the pond having a tattoo from your book put on themselves. So I've got a Romero tattoo on me. <laughs> so, <laughs> I mean, uh, it's, it's just cool. It's, you know, it's, it's a neat thing. And I, I appreciate anybody that reads my books, whether you loved them, hate them, whatever. I, I appreciate it. I appreciate that you took the oh, time. Yeah. To it, well, because it's sharing, it's sharing a, a window into your world. Yes. You know, it's it is an honor for anybody to read my book. You know, again, it's you know, I hope you like it, but I'm just happy somebody read it. You know, exactly. I know it's not for everybody. Right. You know, it's all about finding well, that one person that it matters to. And I've right. got one girl um that she's she's read my two books four times. And awesome. you know, Awesome. She's my one fan. <laughs> I love her. <laughs> uh, I've I had a, a few people say that my books got them through a, a bad time, and to me, that's like wow. That's just I'm thinking this. These guys talking about some guy painting with his dick, uh, a, a painting with his instead of using a paintbrush. They're just talking about articles they read in a, in a magazine in the book. Anyway, the book. I wrote with something like that, and it, and it, it helped them through <laughs> through whatever they were going through. I, I thought, man, that's 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 pretty slick. That's awesome. That it just makes you feel like, wow, you know, um, I'm glad I, I, you know, it, it means to you. You know, I, I, you know, you know what, you don't know what to say to that. You know, you, well, you don't. I can say as a fan that it was. Um, I really started reading the zombie fiction after my dad passed away. And it was just kind of a coping thing because and I joke around and say because you know things could always be worse. Look, there's a zombie apocalypse. <laughs> but <laughs> it, you know that's how I felt, and it did offer me some comfort just to let go of what I was dealing with in the day to day and escape to these you know books. And it's like I said, it's just um. It's just amazing, and uh, people don't realize how they touch other people like that, you know? No, no. They, see, my, my dad was uh, a big fan <laughs> of mine, which I love. I love, because he's the one that introduced me into fantasy and reading, and, you know. And um, he, uh, he, he had, he was in, he's a Viet, Vietnam War vet. He had Agent Orange. Uh, he had uh, lymphoma, and that's what, what killed him. Anyway, when he was in the hospital, um, he was in and out of the hospital, and he wanted to read my books, but he, his vision was going. So um, I had to get him on audio as fast as I, I could, and I got the first one on audio. The second one, the guy, life got in the way of the narrator, and it set for like six months. So I had to get another narrator, which he, he did a great job, and he finished up my series. And my dad, before he passed, he got the – to listen to all my books and that was just 
Uh, and that was just a, a, a cool thing, you know, because uh, he was my biggest fan. He'd tell the doctor, hey, my son's a writer. You know, the nurse says, can my son? <laughs> and I might have, you know, sold two books that month, you know, but he was just, uh, my biggest cheerleader. I'm glad. I'm glad, uh, you know, because a lot of people, don't, their parents don't get to see their, oh, I don't want to say their success, or cause they'll always want to be a writer. And when I retired, I was able to write. And uh, I wish I would have done it sooner, but. There's a reason, yeah. But, but it, it, it well, still had it still happened though. It was it was oh, a yeah. good good it when it family moment. Yeah. Well, Alan and I've talked about this before, but that was the big motivation for me to push my first book to get published. My mom was on hospice and she wasn't going to you know live much longer, and so. I made that happen. So my mom saw my book published, and she died, well, I think, like two weeks later. But she got to see that I, what I had wanted to accomplish since I was a child, that I, I did. And that meant a lot to me. And it means a lot more to me than anything else about that book. You know, it was it was rushed through editing. It You know, it wasn't where I would like it to have been today, but... I set out and accomplished a goal, and my mom saw it, and that was, that's really what mattered. Oh, yeah. No, that's a big deal, you know. It is. It is you know, it's. I don't want to get into – but we always want our parents to be proud of us, and, you know, I don't know. But, yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome that you're able to get that done. I can relate to that totally. Yeah. But – yeah, I, I, it just surprises me. Another thing, Mark, that surprises me is the amount of women that read zombie books. It, I never thought that, and I think I have probably more female fans of the series than male fans. Okay, that was uh, – it, it seems like – during watching weird there are a lot of you know the women fans of all the horror movies and um they're there to see rich yeah they're there to see rich rich and alan rich rich is our uh he pulls in the women (laughs) well but you know you do have a uh, seems like a uh, large uh, female fan base. Um, one of you know, I did jot down and and you know, I was like, you know, might as well ask it now, which you know could eventually dovetail into a. a Similar question, but uh, what do women writers bring to the horror genre? (laughs) (laughs) How do you want to start? Well, well, I'll say, like, with Jamie Hernandez, who is a best selling um, Amazon independent author. Jamie really brings in the family aspect of it. 
So it's not just a zombie apocalypse with you and your best friends. It's a family that is trying to get back to one another and the the struggles that they have as a family. And I think that um, she's done an incredible job doing that. And I think that she touched on um, the pulse of something that not many people had done before. I'm not going to say it hadn't been done before because maybe I just didn't read that book, but I have not seen it done before. And uh, I think that's refreshing, especially, like you said, when you have so many female readers. But um, the irony to me is I think most of Jamie's fans are male, Um, at least the ones that I've seen. But, I mean, she's incredible. But females females just have a different – it's a different take on things. Yeah, definitely. I mean, she hit out of the ballpark with that series. I mean, from mm-hmm. yeah, first time I read the first book, it was like, oh man, this is great, you know. <clears throat> so it's it, she, it's well deserved. It's not just, oh, you know, you should read this. It's it's a it's a good book. It's a really good book for a first time. Jamie, writer, Jamie's awesome. on the ball. Yeah, definitely. I well, see. I I I do have some strong female characters in my books. I don't have the women tripping over their high heels and screaming for help or watching as a man gets bludgeoned or eaten. So I do have strong female leads. I mean, there's a male that's the lead of the series, but uh, a lot of the co-characters are uh, strong female characters. Okay. Okay, here's my... Uh, segue question. I think we just kind of are you uh, are you on a segue or are we actually doing a segue? <laughs> do, doing it a, a uh, segue. I I I don't know what I'm talking about. I just it, it sounded like the right <laughs> word you used. It's all right. It's all right. But it, you know we you know we're just talking about um, you know. Uh, you know, family members, you know, just finally, uh, you know, got to see, uh, you know, the published work, uh, you know, you know before, uh, you know, they passed, you know, um, but it, it was, you know, that, that was kind of works into, um, you know, a, a lot of the uh, ideas behind uh, Mary Shelley's uh, Frankenstein, and I just wanted to read. Um, and it's from chapter ten. I, you know, it's actually you know, this is actually going somewhere, uh, but uh, you know, after you know, Victor's trial, you know, he went to up on uh, some mountain uh, to kind of uh, unwind and and he writes there icy and glittering peaks shone in the sunlight over the clouds my heart which was before sorrowful now swelled with something like joy I exclaimed wandering spirits 
if indeed you wander and do not rest in your narrow beds, allow me this faint happiness or take me as your companion away from the joys of life. As I said this, I suddenly beheld the figure of a man at some distance advancing toward me with superhuman speed. He bounded over the crevices in the ice among which I had walked with caution. His stature also, as he approached, seemed to exceed that of a man. I was troubled. Okay, and so, so it's eventually, and the, uh, his monster tracked him down in this on this uh, side of a mountain. Um, yeah. So, I, and. Also in um, was it the book of um, I think it's in Luke uh, where, where um, there's that uh, demon act that was uh, chained in the graveyard and, and like he he kept uh, breaking the chains and, and they didn't know what to do with them he was like throwing rocks down on the uh, village it, like some of these early depictions of these uh, like zombie-like characters are you know it seem like they're agile uh, strong do you like those kind of zombies uh, you know the, the monsters uh, that that are in um, uh, 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 what's the, the the running zombie movie? I think it's uh, set in England. Oh yeah, twenty eight days later. That, uh, okay, that that one uh, versus the yeah, you, know, you get the Boris Karloff, you know Frankenstein, and he's inarticulate, just uh, lumbering. You know, he he you know, makes his first appearance walking in. Uh, to the room Victor's in backwards, um, it, it just very uh, clumsy, and you know, Night of the Living Dead's like that too. Uh, Shaun of the Dead, it, uh, like you know, we just have this uh, you know, long history of depicting um, dead-like people w- with different abilities. Wh- uh, which ones do you prefer? Well, I I'll, is it okay if I go ahead. Do you mind? I'll, yeah, go I ahead. It's your okay. thing. Um, I in my books I write they deteriorate, so they they go from being fast to slow. Uh, and it I write it because it I can do some scenes where it gives me an advantage that they're slow moving. And because fast ones scare the hell out of me. I mean, I I'm not a runner. And if I got to run all the time, if I can't outwalk a zombie, I'm dead, you know. But but I find those scary. The remake of Dawn of the Dead, uh, the Zack Snyder one, I thought he had these fast-moving zombies. They had, this, like, an, an Asian zombie that ran at the back dock, and he had, like, one arm, and, I mean, he was just so fast uh-huh. and, and and hungry and angry. You know, it was like, whoa, that kind of, kind of made me sit back a little bit. Well, I, I like that. I know a lot of people don't. A lot of people like the slow-moving zombies that wear you down. That are I don't like zombies that are, are uh, 
are are self-aware or smart. I don't like that. I like the ones that are just like a shark. You know, they want to eat you. They want to get to you. That's my favorite kind. Um, Return of the Living Dead, I love those movies, but they're not my favorite zombies because they talk. Yeah, I don't like talking zombies. Uh, Brian King's series that he had, they were demons that were inhabiting dead bodies. So they talked and said vile things, which actually worked in that series. I love that series. But they're not my favorite kind of zombies. I like the ones that that are like sharks. They just want to eat you, and they'll do anything. You know, they'll, they'll push through doors. They'll push through walls relentless. You know, they'll, they'll be knocking on the walls with stumps. You know, breaking all the bones in their hands. You know, just trying to get to you. That's that's my favorite, and um, I and I do like I do like the Romero ones though. I grew up on those, mm-hmm. but I, I like assassins because they scare me. Bam, that's my take. <laughs> <laughs> I like the Shamblers. Shamblers are good. Yeah, it's, um, I think it just goes back to childhood. Like the thing that terrified me about the zombies was that no matter where you went, no matter, you know, what you did, they were always coming. They weren't, you know, they didn't get tired. They, they just, it was inevitable that they would find you and that they would, you know, make you one of them. So... There's probably some yeah. whole psychological thing wrapped up in that for me, but <laughs> we won't unpack that tonight. <laughs> well, see, my, mine is I don't want a zombie. I mean, it terrifies me that I have to run everywhere. <laughs> I hate running. So if a zombie's going to make me run, well, screw you, zombie. <laughs> so that's terrifying to me. If you make me run, I'm terrified of you. <laughs> Yeah, it, but what you know? What's interesting about the, say, Shaun of the Dead type zombies is that no matter how how fast you run, there's still one always ahead of you or j- just to your side. Uh, even though the one that you saw first is, you know, in, in the distance, you know, there's another one uh, ahead of you that you just can't escape the line of of them as they um, approach you. Right. It's it does have an interesting effect, like what Hadley was saying. It reveals some deep, hidden psychological meaning about me. But uh, yeah, uh, but it they just don't go away. I think that's one of the reasons why the movies are just uh, so effective. 
Yeah. Well, you know, you're talking about Frankenstein. I, I was just watching because Scott picked this movie out, Frankenstein's Army. Oh, that is. Oh, it is. I haven't seen that one. Oh, you should watch it. Yeah, it's, that's on my to watch list. Oh, I oh you're gonna be oh it's gruesome. It's, well, it's yeah, gruesome. Scott Baker. <laughs> yeah. Scott Baker likes the gruesome. A lot of Frankenstein's did, monsters. Did someone that was there was there like a, someone lose a member? Because that's usually up there for him too. <laughs> There's people that lose a lot of things in this one. You're gonna. <laughs> You'll see how we can watch it. You need to watch it though. It's Frankenstein's Army. It's I recommend it. I do. I I enjoyed it. Did you it, watch mine yet? No, that's next. I've got okay. three down. Here's his next. I had to rewatch uh, mine. It's been a while. But, yeah. It, it, is Frankenstein's Army uh, a somewhat new movie? I want to say it's. It's a 2012, 13 maybe. Oh, that's interesting because you know Scott normally picks the older movies. Yeah, no, it's it's a newer one. A lot of practical effects, which is cool, and the practical effects are insane. <laughs> a lot of blood, a lot of blood, a lot of body parts. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've still got to watch his and Riches, so ah. that's my. My homework for tomorrow is to watch those. Yeah, yeah. I got your slated maybe tonight, but tomorrow for sure. I picked something I hadn't seen. I did watch that um, Korean one that I originally had recommended. <laughs> yes. Well, I didn't recommend it. I, it was my pick. And it was, um, you know, the girl that I had seen reviewing it had said that it was the scariest movie she'd seen. It wasn't. So it was a disappointment. And the movie that I came back with, it was more of what I was expecting. So um, I think you'll like it. You've probably seen it. I haven't seen it. I saw there's a documentary by the same name, and I saw that uh, a couple years ago about about haunted houses. It's just a it's an actual documentary. Well, this is this that's the way this is portrayed. So it was real. It was really good. It was really good. But they're also in Texas and in Louisiana, so it was places that I kind of knew. Ah. Cool. Which you know just makes it a little bit more real. Yeah. <laughs> it does. But check it out, Mark. It's it's uh it's worth seeing. I I liked it. Let me know what you thought of it when if you see it. Frankenstein's Army. Okay. All right. I I jotted that down. Well, my movie, if you want to watch it, Mark, was, um, what was it called? Houses that October built? Yeah, it's about haunted houses. Not like paranormal haunted houses, like people go to haunted houses for Halloween. Mm-hmm. Haunted attractions, yeah. Yeah. People like to be scared. So, uh, Yeah, Alan, that was, you know, one of my questions. Uh, uh, let me ask you, so, so it makes it look like, you know, I I earned my pay for this week. <laughs> but, but it, you know, probably, um, 
you know, most of my movie interests are like, you know, the toilet scene in Dumb and Dumber. Um, <laughs> but, but, but what do these uh, horror movies reveal about the hu- human condition that you really don't find in other genres? As you know, I, I what I pull out, well, I'll just take this movie, for example, that I just watched, that the humans can be more monsters than the monsters themselves. And I think a lot yeah. of them, I think a lot of movies are like that, you know, especially the ones with a human bad guy or or a good guy that turns bad or, or you know, you don't know. Um, but, you know, there's a lot of movies with ambiguous characters and, and storylines anymore. But I think horror, I think horror, just we like to be scared and we like to be safe. And, you know, what safer place but in your own home, you know, uh, with, a, you know, four or five blankets on covering over your head watching, a, you know, someone get, you know, chopped into 20 pieces, you know, on the big screen. You know, and uh, you may have a house with a gun or something, so you're really safe. <laughs> but uh, I, I think you just like to be scared. You like that thrill, that that adrenaline rush that uh-huh. this kind of stuff gives us. You know, that that's just my take. I haven't read a well, lot. Well, I'm going to have to unpack my stuff now since y'all are asking. <laughs> I think that the zombie genre offers a lot about. Um, one, mass consumerism, and two, I think it has a lot to do with conforming and people being forced to conform in order to fit in to society. And that um, I think this is more about what I think is it's about people forcing you into their narrative and to fit what they think is normal and losing your individuality. Dang. So, I yeah, I told y'all. You didn't want me to. You didn't want me to unpack my bags. But well, I was. Go. I was just gonna say it's cool to shoot dead things in the head and be able to run through well, a yeah. ball and grab whatever you want. That was. <laughs> that's how simple I am. <laughs> yeah. I. I think. Uh, Allie was carrying a backpack. I was carrying a purse. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Hasley provided a uh, uh, very insightful uh, answer and an example that I uh, thought of while Hadley was uh, unpacking her bags was <laughs> like pet cemetery. And uh, dealing with uh, when the uh, whatever uh, the the uh, mom Gage's mom uh, had a couple confrontations with Zelda, her sister, and. Those were some of those scenes where I thought 
uh, Stephen King did a great job uh, putting that in the book and uh, the screenwriter for the movie uh, included it and I, I, I thought it was uh, shot very well it, it was just a really effective um, uh, part of the movie but yeah, I think there's uh, probably a lot of children were put in positions where they really shouldn't have been and you know they're dealing with uh, uh, like uh, very uh, sick older sister that it, it, it really shouldn't have been the, the Gage's mom shouldn't have been left with her you know, as a child, it really should have been handled by an adult. And I think um, the book and movie uh, it just really helped people to realize you know, things like that happen. And it does leave a lasting impact, but you can overcome that. You don't necessarily forget it, but you can overcome those types of traumatic events. Stephen yeah. King is just a master. I mean... Mm-hmm. Yeah, he, he, which, you know, he, yeah, he has this look at things in a different way, but we can all relate to him. And, yeah, you know, it, it's really like, you know, what you hear so many musicians from the 60s and 70s say about Chuck Berry is he had just really simple songs about, you know, cars and being at the soda shop and, you know, with the cute girl after school. Everyone can relate to him, but that's what made Chuck Berry – all of his songs are just classics. Is It's like, yeah, I remember those days, you know. I had an experience just like that. But, you know, Stephen King does the same thing. Christine and, you know, the, uh, you know ha- having your first car. This is a question maybe y'all can answer. I was thinking this earlier today. Is there another author that has had this many of his books made, or is it just Stephen King? <clears throat> what, made into movies? They... Yeah. No. I don't think so. I don't either. I, I, we need to talk about that sometime because <laughs> that's yeah, really I, interesting. I, I, yeah, I I don't know of really any other authors that have written as much as he has. Yeah, uh, I think Dean Koontz is close, but I I, well, I think Koontz is. And and I'll, he made a couple of movies, but not anything, not with a success rate, I should say, that no. Stephen King has had. Because when you look at Carrie, you look at, yeah. we were we did Salem's Lot the other night, you know, all the way up the to. The Shining. Yeah, The Shining, yeah. which. That's you had two different versions thing. of The Shining. Three. Yeah. 
Doctor Sleep, yeah, I, Kubrick's version, and the TV version with Tracy Lords. Probably put out a lot, a lot of books, but you're right, movie-wise. I can think of Phantoms. Um, uh, what's that the one with Watchers the Watchers one? The Watchers. Uh, Intensity? The Intensity. Uh, I... You know the one where the kid sees dead people and uh, Odd Thomas. Movie Odd Thomas, yeah. Odd that Thomas. was I like those. Yeah, you I know, like in the too. movies. Yeah, it, the movie Odd Thomas is the I, I, I the end. I, I got to tell you, I, I teared up on the end because that the actor he just died like uh, a few months before I watched it, and so. You know he's he not dead. so good he, too. Yeah, his girlfriend is. And it's like, oh, that's just sad. You know, he's he's dead. And that made me tear up. Not the part that his girlfriend was dead, but that he he is in real life. But anyway, I, I like Coons. I don't think they've had a translator from his books. They haven't, and it's really a shame um, because yeah. he's had some great books. Yeah, well, I mean, fan. Okay, but it wasn't as good as the book. And Watchers just sucked. It was. And the book was so well, good. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Well, and you know, Stephen King had that adaptation of uh, Shawshank Redemption from a sh- uh, yeah. uh, no- novella. Right. Uh, and, and that's. Probably uh, Shawshank is probably one of the most beloved movies ever, and I'm and I'm sure it uh, is you know ranks up there with Silence of the Lambs as one of the best movies made in the last uh, you know twenty five thirty years. But yeah, there was uh, the Green Mile. What was that? Yeah, yeah, the Green Miles, another one. Uh, but uh, uh, what was that? Um, uh, the other Stephen King short story that was um, based in that uh, manufacturing warehouse with the giant rats. Oh yeah, yeah, Night Shift. It was in the Night Shift short story. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I, that, yeah I, that, it was a short story. I, 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 um, yeah, I saw it the one time, and you know, I just kind of wanted to forget that it, I, I saw that. But yeah, yeah, uh, that that one wasn't one one of the uh, better ones. But uh, yeah, yeah, that was one of King's movies, or I. You know the adaptations of of uh, one of his books that are short stories that um, did you know probably a lot of people uh, do forget about that one, but you know it you know you would need to add it to the list of movies that were based on his his works. Well, he did. Oh, yeah. uh, what was a it? A lot of them like that. Skeleton Crew. 
Was that one? I'm reaching way back. That's the one. Oh. It had the monkey with the symbol toy on the front cover. Oh, yeah, that's right. What was the name of that movie? It was... Was that it? Oh, Skeleton. What was that wrong? Oh, monkey Shine. There, they made the movie yeah, Monkey, monkey Shine. Oh, was it Monkey Shine? And then there was one, The Cat's Eye. Remember that? And um, Firestarter. Firestarter. That was... I didn't like that movie. I went and saw that. Uh, it was not what, so oh, oh, what was the one? What was the one that it had Christopher Walken in it? Oh, yeah. the Dead Zone. Uh, dead yeah, zone. the Dead Zone. I mean, he said there's so many. I mean, mm-hmm. it, it, was Cat's Eye the one with the uh, guy that had to walk <clears throat> walk around the outside of the apartment building? Yes. yes. Okay. It, and that's similar to, or a, a scene that that scene was similar to that uh, room thirteen oh seven or something like that. Yeah, and oh, dinner yeah. was with, another with, one. Yeah, I mean, I, it, it, you know, with the probably dozen movies that we all. Um, just reeled off. I I don't know if there's any other author that has had that many movies made from his or her books. No, I don't think so either. You know, I mean, there's there's books that have been remade and remade and remade, but I think you're right. I think you have the most. Yeah. You know, because you can look at uh, I Am Legend, the original book, and Night Living Dead was based on that. Um, the Omega Man, I mean, it's been remade probably at least well, a dozen times in different shapes and forms, you know. What was the one with the trucks? Oh yeah, uh, well actually it's called trucks, but yeah. Um, overdrive. Overdrive. Is it maximum overdrive? Maximum overdrive. Yeah, yeah, I think that's it. Yep. But the short story was actually called trucks. They remade that twice. There's just so many. I mean, we could name them all night. Um, yeah. But I can't well, think of an, I mean, yeah. Um. It, um, the, uh, what's the uh, clown one in oh, the it. sewer? It. Oh, that's uh, it. Uh, okay. That's it. Uh, well, and he, that, he that did that 1960-something on... Hulu. Oh yeah, and Castle Rock. And 1922 on um, oh. Netflix. With Thomas Jane, yeah. And then that horrible oh. one about the cornfield. Not Children of the Corn, but it's it's on Netflix. It's uh. That was remade. Oh, it's the, the one uh, with the was, rats. Uh, it's the one with the stone. There's like a stone and. A, an ancient stone that 
has this power and it draws these travelers into it and they're stuck in this cornfield. I can't remember the name of it. It's horrible. It's a horrible Graveyard movie. Shift was one that was based on one of his short stories. Yeah, that's one. I think I had that. Yeah, that's the one with the giant rat. Okay. Oh, and, um, and, what was the one with the werewolves? Silver Bullet? Silver Bullet? Yeah. Yeah. And uh, yeah, we can't forget uh, Dolores Claiborne. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. Under the dome. And, 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 yeah, yeah. And, needful and things. Was, yeah, needful things. Uh, the horrible movie. The book was better called Cell. Yeah, yeah, and he did that Dreamcatcher one too. That had oh, yeah. Marky Mark's brother in it. That's oh, I right. forgot about those. Yeah. I had h- high hopes for Dreamcatcher um, and was sourly disappointed. <laughs> I say sourly on purpose. There's parts of it I like, but yeah, it's uh, not a good movie. It's got a lot of good actors in it. Uh, Alan, since, since we were just talking about it... And you, know, you get the clown, uh, w- which you know, reminds me of the, you know the, everyone gets pretty unnerved about uh, clowns, and you know, which goes into John Wayne Gacy, and you know, wanted to uh, you know get ask you a little bit about your. Uh, Work as a prison guard, and you, you, know, you had to deal with, uh, well, one uh, you know, very well-known uh, uh, criminal. So, so what are some of the, you know, creepy prison stories that uh, you can tell us? <laughs> well, I'll tell you. I'll tell you. This is my personal experience. Uh, I was working uh, first watch one night, which is uh, 10 to 6 in the morning. And I was down in the unit office, and it was just me and this control, control booth officer that was upstairs. And I'm sitting there filling out my paperwork, and I hear this, I'm still here. Just like that. Mm. I'm like, what? What the heck? Then we look around. I look in the rotunda. I'm looking in the holding cells. I'm looking all over the place. Nobody but me. The doors are shut. I look up, and my control booth cop is sitting way across on the other side of the control booth. He couldn't even – if he whispered that, I would have never heard him. He was so far over. Doing, he was doing some of his paperwork or reading a book or something. And I said, hey, I said, did you say something? And he's like, no. No, man, I haven't moved in an hour, you know. And I was like, I just heard someone say, I'm still here. We're still here. And I was, he's like, was it me, man? I'd be laughing if, if I uh, did that. And so that creeped me out. I mean, I don't yeah. know what I heard, you know. And then a, a buddy of mine, he was working a control booth one night, and uh, there's an electrical door that goes between the units, and there's like four doors. And you can o- only open two, and someone has to open the other two. So they can't get to your door, and there's a window at your door. And it's about five, six, five and a half, well, maybe almost six feet up. 
the window is. And my buddy said he turned and looked and saw a face at the window. And he about crapped himself. And he he went over there and looked, didn't see anybody. So he called control and said, hey, there's somebody in the electrical chase. And so they sent people to look and everything, and they could never find anybody. And he got teased mercilessly, so he stopped telling that story. And and uh, he really believed he saw something. So, that's just so, um, yeah, Alan. Uh, what what would you attribute the um, "We're still here" voice? Is, is that a ghost, paranormal type experience? I I don't know because uh, no one had died in that unit, so I don't know. It's bad energy, maybe. You know, maybe someone was having a nightmare that night, and whatever energy they had. I don't know. I don't understand a lot of paranormal stuff. I, I'm a believer in paranormal. I definitely am, but I don't know what. What drives a lot of it, you know, you know, there's the obvious, you know, someone died, you know, there's spirits, whatever. Um, I like you but, so much you right know. now, Alan. <laughs> well, well, Tina and I are both big. We both have had experiences. I've been touched, and um, I had experience when I was in the Air Force that was creepy. And Tina's had some couple of creepy, a few creepy uh, experiences. Well, so we're both believers that there's something there, but that's. The only creepy experiences like that. Now, if you're talking about like inmates, we had a guy in there that he had murdered his mom, and he drove through a drive-through window with her head on the front seat. Oh my! And the poor workers there, they called the cops, and the cops pulled him over and arrested him. You know, Uh, we've had serial killers there. We've had uh, we've had some horrible stories, and, and just. Some horrible people. You don't want to read their paperwork, but you do because you want to know who you're dealing with. You know, it's smart to know who you're dealing with. But there's just people are worse than any monsters on the screen. You know, it's just cool. what Scooby Doo taught me. <laughs> yeah, all right. <laughs> it really was Mr. Manson with the followers in the band. <laughs> Jinkies. Jinkies, yeah. Uh, but so uh, so so, yeah, yeah, uh, Alan. So, uh, what was it like uh, having to deal with Charles Manson? He was he was unimpressive because at that time he was like in his seventies, and he was probably weighed a hundred ten pounds, uh, very short. I think he's under five foot, maybe close to five foot. Um. He would just ramble. He'd get pissed real quick. Uh, be racist because he had he had a black inmate on one side, Hispanic inmate on the other side, and they they were always telling us, "Let us out, let us out, let us out. We'll take care of him. Let us out." We're like, "Nope, nope, ain't gonna happen, man." <laughs> but he was a uh, he was whining. He, you know, he would complain about everything. Just uh, just uh, not what you you would think. You know, 30 years ago, he probably would have been something, you know, 30, 40 years ago. But he was just uh, just an angry man, a uh, little bit crazy, just a lot of angry. 
when when you were uh talking about uh needing to uh read about who you're dealing with um yeah did did you get uh some information that oh yeah yeah we in the in the units we had we were able to talk to the counselors and get access to their C files, and just mm-hmm. it tells you the crimes they did, what they're there for, and uh, and you know you'd read some of their crimes and you're just like oh my gosh and you know it it did color the way you looked at some of these inmates you know, but it was always always good to know you know um, we had a guy nicest guy black kid that. That was our porter in our unit, and he was a nice kid. He did good work. Well, we looked into his paperwork, and he had at the other prison he was at, he had assaulted the prison guards when he was a porter for them with a broom and beat someone pretty bad. So we had we had to fire him, you know, because we're like, well, you know, we don't want that happening to us, you know. So mm-hmm. we had to we had to lay him off and we were deciding whether to fire him or not and then somebody came along and fired him and and then he just kind of went it was sad because he kind of just went downhill after that because that job meant a lot to him but you know that's that was just one of those things you know so you, you, you need to my wife had a porter in her unit that was like three times the size of her and he was a, a a satanic devil worshiper for real. He had carved up another another inmate on another yard and had his body in his cell for uh, two days before anyone figured out. Yeah, yeah, it was a big deal. It was a big deal. He had a uh, he had uh, manipulated the body to where when staff went by and counted and stuff, they couldn't tell he was dead. And uh, she had him as a, after that. He had him as a porter in her unit, and she'd be downstairs by herself with him. And she's tiny. So, and yeah, yeah, and uh, a lot of fighting her though. But yeah, so it's it's it's, <laughs> it's crazy. <laughs> yeah, it, 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 and you know, Manson was uh, saw him at, himself as. He has his own church uh, deity, yeah, so, something like that. Is that is that correct? Yeah. Oh, yeah. He was, he was his own own god, you know. But but when we, like I said, when we saw him, he was he, he was a different person than you saw, you know, in the media. And then he was just old man. Coming to the end of his life, just cranky. I'm sure he wasn't a good person anyway, the staff, you know. And uh, we get his mail, and he had a lot of fans, a lot of fans, a lot of women writing to him. Um, uh, people wanting his autograph, mostly. That's what a lot of us mostly want his autograph. Uh, some film company wanted to use a T-shirt with his likeness on him, and they were trying to get his okay. But all his stuff would go to this guy in Southern California that handled all his business. 
So we get it, we read it, and then we send it to the security squad. They'd go through it, do whatever they felt deemed to be done with this stuff, and then they would they would send it out, send it back, whatever. But you know, he wasn't supposed to profit off it either. So they were they were they were trying to get a handle on that too. I, I we yeah. had this kid. The funniest thing I read was this kid wrote him. He was doing a, a story in his school about uh, icons of the 60s and stuff, and he was writing about Manson. He said, but I'm not going to give you my home address because you're a killer. And I laughed <laughs> at the end of that letter. I just laughed about smart kids, you know. I'm going to give you my teacher's address. <laughs> <laughs> but, it, you know, yeah, uh, some of those really high-profile uh, inmates, uh, you know, like uh, Ted Bundy and John Wayne Gacy, uh, they were involved in. You know, their uh, you know, there were Christian uh, churches. Um, obviously, they weren't. You know, they missed. Uh, you know, some lessons, you know, they weren't good reflections of them, but, uh, you know, Richard Ramirez was heavily involved with, you know, the Church of Satan. Did did you find that there was a lot of uh, uh, some kind of faith uh, behind a lot of the you know, diverse uh, religions that somewhere along the line that they misinterpreted uh, passages or uh, I, I don't, uh, I don't, just used it as a con? I think most of them would use it as a con because I, I think they just wanted to do what they wanted to do. You know, a lot of them finally living in prison, you know, afterwards, some would get really fanatically fanatical about it. I mean, I'm all I'm all good for somebody, you know, getting, you know, uh reformed spiritually, mentally, whatever, but you just can't at the level I work you just couldn't trust it. You know, these are people that were on their the last you know, this is the last place they they go. You know, if they're not death row inmates, it's the last place to go. You know, we have some nasty people. Did, did but by, I mean, like, it, you know, through some interaction with these people, uh, reading the case studies, um, are are there some warnings that you're able to tell the listeners how to avoid becoming a victim? Yeah, well, always be aware you're around. Always be aware you're around. Know where you're at. Listen to your gut. That's the biggest thing. A lot of people, you know, that were victims of stuff that should have you know, done this. I, I told myself I was going to go left, but I went right instead. I went down the dark alley or, or I, you know, uh, parked my car way far away, you know, whatever. 
just be aware of your and and go with your gut, you know. And, and, you know, if there's somebody creeping, pay attention to that. You know, don't just say, oh, that dude's just, you know, harmless. Pay attention to that because, you know, a lot of times those people are. I walked a, this white supremacist guy out because um, he paroled, so I walked him out to R&R, which is receiving release where they go before they're released onto the Greyhound bus and stuff. And he got to the BART station, and he kidnapped a woman and raped her. I mean, the guy was out hours, you know, and some lady heard going along with her day, you know, and this guy shows up, runs it, you know. And so you just you just got to be careful. And you can be – also, you can be as careful as possible when you're still end up having a bad day. So – you know, just just try to be aware of, you know, what's around you, who's around you. And listen, always listen to your gut. Yep. I, I agree with the gut thing. Yeah. I read a book called The Gift of Fear by Gavin DeBecker, and yeah. it changed my life. Uh, 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 what was so, so enthralling about that book? It, it he um, studies people and he, he's worked for everybody. I mean, he basically teaches that it's um, your intuition is basically what lets the rabbit know that the fox is behind him. And yeah. he gives all these accounts of like people who got um, one of those packages from the Unabomber back in the day, and they would be making jokes about it around the office about, oh, so-and-so got a package. It's probably from the Unabomber, and then it was. Or women who had a really bad feeling when they got to their house and thought they were being silly, and then when they, you know, walk up to their door, there's a rapist there. Um, It was just a number of accounts like that, and he's like, whenever you have that feeling, don't second-guess it. Just trust it. And it... Like I said, it it had so much supporting evidence. Um, it was it's a really good book. I recommend it. Well, it, it seems like if you don't pay attention to your gut instincts, that the uh, perpetrator already yeah, has singled you out. Yeah, but you know, you see people that go. Somebody says, "Get, I got a gun. Get in the car." It's like, no, run, scream. Would you rather be shot, or would you rather be tortured and killed? You know, I, me, I'd rather have a chance to escape than just get in the car, okay? Or, you know, uh, because you know, you got to do whatever you can to survive. And uh, even if someone has you singled out, you can still escape alive. You've seen that on, on, you know, with some of these serial killers. You know, some of these women get away because they fought back. And some men too. You know, they mm-hmm. they fought back and they got away. They got away. So, don't surrender. <laughs> That's my thing. Never surrender when you're in a situation like that. I, 
when I, I worked I, at a bank, one of the things they taught us was um, if ever anybody comes in and they try and um, take you as a hostage, <laughs> fall out like you haven't, uh, like you fainted. And we were, we'd always laugh about if someone ever came in to rob the bank, we'd all fall out. <laughs> <laughs> but you, that people won't drag a, a weight, you know, a body like that. They're not going to go through the trouble of taking you with them. Is, it, is there sheep or is it goat that do that? What are those ones that do, they just it's fall the, over? The fainting goat. The fainting fainting goat. <laughs> You're like a bunch of fainting goats. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but that would probably freak out the, the bank robbers. They'd go, oh, what's up? <laughs> Where are we? Well, you know, um, which I don't think that you do know this, Alan, but when I was little, one of my dad's friends was killed by a serial killer, and um, she worked at a bank, and the guy came in. He actually had been in witness protection, go figure, and he went on a murder spree, and, you know, under um, when he was on witness protection, and um, he went to this bank, and kidnapped well he obviously robbed the bank but um he was going to take this little pregnant girl and my dad's friends this lady that had hired my dad back in the day and um she said take her and he ended up killing her but oh i mean you don't ever go don't ever go with them you don't ever go don't ever go because they'll either have to shoot you there or they won't do it you know but don't go with them see people are scarier than Frankenstein or the Wolfman, you know, because it's real. Yep. And you, know, you you have a couple, three <clears throat> examples of of you know, the women who jumped out of uh, uh, Bundy's Volkswagen. Yeah. Uh, for some reason, I don't know why he came to a stop sign or something like that. Uh, that that was their break to uh, get out of the car. You know, I think they uh, one uh, climbed over a guardrail and fell into a, a stream, but you know, she she survived. Yeah, you got to do what you got to do. You know? That's right. Like a wolf chewing off its paw. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Coyote ugly. There you go. <laughs> yep. And, yeah. Well, we. I don't know if we told you this, Mark, but we're doing a new show um, called Weird Murders, Mysteries, and Mayhem. And we recorded our first show last night, and we discussed, um, was it Ed, Ed Kemper? Was that his name? And you talk about some crazy stuff. That guy was crazy. Um, I believe he was featured in John Douglas's new show. Mind Hunters, yes. Yeah, I, uh, I think that the premiere episode aired but Sunday night, uh, and. It, I think it was on Fox, and, and I think the, the rest of the series is on uh, uh, one of their pay-per-view channels. But uh, they aired the uh, premiere episode. I, I thought it, it was um, 
a really effective um, having John as a uh, host of it, uh, discussing some of the profiles and what he, he learned to help uh, catch the uh, you know, like uh, Kemper, but yeah, you know, he he um, he was doing the um, killing the uh, female hitchhikers. Is that the right one? Yeah, the co-ed yeah. killer. Co-ed yes, killer. That was him. Yep, the disturbed yeah. man. And I think from from that. Um, you know, this ties in with um, what Alan said, you know, once we switched over to uh, some of the real crime drama is the uh, how much of this uh, abuse that these people went through is uh, children to turn them into uh, you know, like misanthropic uh, people as adults. Uh, Alan, did, did did you find that to be fairly consistent with the inmates you were dealing with? Yeah. Well, yeah. It seems like a lot of them came from um, some troubled childhoods. I, I don't like to put the blame on the childhood on a lot of it, but, you know, some of them did. Uh, we had some in there that came from, seemed like very loving families. You know, they always wrote, they always sent packages, put money on their books. So, yeah, you know, some of them. And we had a lot of guys that just shot people, you know, gang. We had a lot of gangs. We had a lot of gangs in there, stuff like that. But, yeah, some of it. I don't like, like I said, I don't like to put the whole enchilada on that childhood, you know, being locked in a closet or whatever. Because you don't know how much of that is true or what extent, you know, their the damage was, I guess. I don't know. What, Hadley, who else do you have coming up on your panels of uh, serial killers? But he was in the Kansas City, Missouri area, and he was actually the first internet serial killer. And we're going to do um, the German family that got murdered, I think, in 1922 outside of Bavaria. I can't say their name. But um, it was like the whole family was murdered. It was under mysterious circumstances. Um, They had actually, like, been hearing someone in the house, the maid they had had quit because she could hear voices and no one believed her. They thought she was crazy and just didn't want to work. And it ended up there was someone living in their house that murdered them all. And I think um, when when the the authorities finally went by the house to check on them or, like, the neighbor or somebody – the dog was in the house. He had been fed. There was a fire 
in the stove or, or wherever, and there was food out like someone was about to sit down to eat, and no one was there. And they found the six bodies stacked up in the, the barn. So that should be an interesting one. Yeah, that that's an interesting topic. Uh, it, it, what you do with the bodies? Uh, okay, how you just gave the example of stacking them in the uh, barn. Uh, Alan gave the example of um, the uh, inmate who was. Um, position for a, a couple of days to make it look like um, he was just resting in his bed. Um, yeah, uh, uh, was it the Boston Strangler? Um, yeah, did yeah after killing uh, the the uh, women he. Um, yeah, continued to degrade them. Um, with their, uh, you know, the, the way he positioned their body, naked bodies to be found. Um, it, yeah, that that really says. Uh, there, there's like a psychology in, in itself about. What the killer does with the bodies. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah, um, it's it's intriguing for sure. You know, that's one of the things that I'm really glad that we have um, Jen joining us is because you know she is a behavioral health professional so she's got the insight into why sometimes they they do weird stuff um just from you know i guess classes that she took or whatever but i know like you know they'll they'll say like with um kemper you know he buried his mother's well he buried one of his victim's heads underneath his mother's window so it would be um someone who was looking up at her mother. I don't even know, but it was just crazy. But still, just weird stuff like that that they do is very symbolic and meaningful mm-hmm. to some people. And it's intriguing to me. Um, but, I mean, symbolism is very interesting to me anyway. But especially when it comes to, um, I guess, serial killers, it's, they're just a whole new level of something I don't understand. Yeah, uh, th- there is a uh, symbolic aspect to you know, just use the example of you know uh, you just gave of uh, placing uh, Kemper's mom's head or uh, uh, one of the uh, victims outside of his mother's uh, window. It. it, it there's a reason for it, you know. What, what does that mean? Uh, it it is interesting. Uh, and I think that's one of the reasons why the the CSI shows are so 
popular is it takes us into a realm that you know we only think about or whisper about to um, like a good friend or I'm sure a lot of people in the audience are saying yeah I wondered about that too what what does all that mean you get that in um so like the uh, silence of the lambs with the butterfly the the death head moth yep why you know yeah. why was inserted in to uh one of the victims mouths um and the one that was I think it was the first body that Buffalo Bill weighed down in the Elk River. Got to get that local plug in there. <laughs> well, I recently watched um, just a, a documentary on some murders that happened in Alaska. And uh-huh. it was just so crazy. The The guy that did the murders was helping them look for the bodies. And... There were actual pictures of him standing around helping authorities, and I mean, he had committed a double murder of his neighbor. Uh-huh. And it's just intriguing to me that, and that was one of the things we talked about about with Ed Kemper was how um, active he was with the police. It's just, uh-huh. you know, the things that they do and the games that they play is just it's so foreign. Yeah, uh, uh, that was when you know, when we had uh, Mark Olshaker as a guest. Uh, it might have been for his uh, either white supremacist sniper book or the actual mine hunter book. Um, but it, it, there's a, a pattern where the murderer wants to uh, seem like he's being helpful to the police. Uh, he, he wants to know, you know, are they close to catching him? Uh, but they also are kind of acting out you know, like a childhood fantasy that they want to be a cop at some point. And this is really about the only way that um, they could achieve that dream is to uh, be a criminal and not get caught, but it gives them, uh, in the intervening time, it gives them uh, a chance to interact with the police. Yeah, I think that's. Yeah, uh, what you're saying is documented. I I think that was in Mind Hunter. I uh, I should have brought it in here with me before the show started, but um, you know, I'll I'll try to find the passage for you. Well, I guess it's very it's very interesting for sure. Um, 
I'd be interested to know um, about what other types of jobs these personality types gravitated towards. Yeah. Uh, I, I I bet it was. Um, I I bet none of them uh, wanted to be podcasters. Ain't <laughs> <laughs> that the truth? Uh, yeah. Okay. Hey, it, you know we're, we're closing in on about two minutes left, and I, I I wanted to thank you both for being insightful, fun, making it a, a terrific Halloween show. Hope the listeners uh, got got some. Uh, Jeepers Creepers out of <laughs> li- listening to us, but um, it, it, I'll give you uh, you know, some you know, last uh, ninety seconds to plug any websites or books where you know where they can find your books. Listen to watching weird. Well, you can find us streaming live on Thursday nights on Facebook. That's Weird Realities Podcast and Horror Writers, Inc. We're also streaming live on the Weird Realities YouTube channel. And you can pretty much find all of us linked to our books on weirdrealities.com. And that's weird with a Y. Alan? Oh, you can find me the same place as Ali just said. Uh, my books are on Amazon, uh, Check it out it's on Audible too, Kindle Audible, and you can get it in the good good old Dead Trees version. And uh, yeah, find me on Facebook, Alan Gamboa. All right, and you so can we're... find me on Linktree at Hadley underscore Thorn. I had a uh, terrific evening. It was a lot of fun. Thank you again. Look forward to seeing you on Thursday night and. Seen the movies you review. It's a lot of fun uh, get, getting your observations on lost classics. So, um, yeah, we'll have to do this again. I, I, I had a great time. And thanks, Barbara, for uh, keeping us on the air tonight. And I look forward to having everyone uh, back um, next Monday and Tuesday and uh, Wednesday as well. Thanks again. Have a great week, everyone. Uh, See you soon.